Marty, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Alex. Absolutely. Why don't we start by having you just briefly introduce yourself for everyone who might be listening who is not aware of the legend that is Lori Tools. <laughs> the legend. <laughs> well, my name is Lori Tools. And I'm a 58-year-old mother of five. Um, I have four grandkids. I work full-time and I have two spoiled dogs. Very spoiled dogs. Very spoiled Very. dogs. Uh, you also ride motorcycles, which we're probably going to talk about at some point. I do. I love my motorcycle. But, you know, kind of the, I guess the the most, you and I, you know, when you when you first started working with me, it was right before I started A-Team. So, like, early, early days. But even, mm-hmm. and I always love talking about those early days of A-Team Fitness. So, whenever I get someone on the podcast who has experienced those early days, inevitably, I love to talk about it. So, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But before that, even more interesting is you are one of the few people who knew me pre my own transformation. Yes. Because I grew up with your kids. Yes. So we lived in the same neighborhood. You lived about five houses down, four or five houses down. I dog sat for you a couple of times, I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember... Totally random side note. One of those times there was a huge storm and I remember your dog freaking out the whole time. There were so many messes in that house I had to clean up. <laughs> that had to be Angel, right? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just sitting there terrified. Like, I don't want them to come home and there be all this mess in the house. I got to it. It was my first lesson in, in responsibility. So I have you to thank for that, I suppose. You did fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But nevertheless, so, you know, I grew up with your kids. You knew me very young, kind of watched me grow up because of that. And so it's interesting for me to kind of explore because you've kind of seen the whole story unravel. Hi there. Coach Alex here from A-Team Fitness. Thanks for listening as I share incredible transformation stories directly from the source themselves, the individuals doing the work and seeing the results. We'll take a behind-the-curtain peek at the mental and physical changes that make for amazing transformations. I'm glad you're here, and after the episode, I hope you feel empowered to begin making some transformative changes of your own. Let's dive in. I remember pre-A-Team Alex um, when you were in elementary school and shy and quiet. Um, and then even though we were just a few houses away, um, middle school and high school, I don't remember so much. Um, but I do remember seeing you run or seeing a runner, not knowing it was you, seeing a runner and asking the kids, who is that? And they were like, Mom, that's Alex. And I was like, what? <laughs> I would have never, never recognized you. 
Um, and it was unbelievable. I did. I feel like, you know, when I really started my fitness transformation and I was running a lot through the neighborhood, it, uh, it grew to be my reputation of sorts. I was, there was another neighbor that always ran through the neighborhood and the kids all gave him the nickname runner man. That's what we referred to him as. It was a post post man. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, uh, and then when I started running, I kind of assumed that nickname of runner man. <laughs> I just remember it being winter and seeing you run with boots and just being astonished. <laughs> Still do that, by the way. Uh, yeah. Well, so... You know, obviously you knew me as the very shy, introverted kid. And probably the reason you don't remember a lot of me in middle and high school is because I got even more shy. And so there was more of that going on. But then we really reconnected when you joined my class at 101 right before I left to start. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, because, you know, you were in many of my classes throughout the years. And so you know, as well as everyone else that was there, how I teach those classes which is very similar to how I act all the time, which is very animated, very loud, very, I love to tell stories. I love to tell jokes. I like to, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a presentation of sorts, right? So I want to know the first class you came to when you experienced that versus what you knew or may have been anticipating, what was that like? I think it was called choose to lose back then. And I remember going to one-on-one. Well, I remember the ad in the Forestbrook newsletter. And I was I was working out at the time, but kind of looking for something different or more and hoping to spark some weight loss and um, had started. That's when I first started some health issues with blood pressure. Um, so I thought, well, I'll go check this out. And of course, wanted to support you. And I remember going in one-on-one and waiting for class to start. And this friendly person who was also waiting came up to me and it was Heather. And she was so sweet and so nice. And as you know, you know, we went on to become workout besties. The dream team, some Yes. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Heather if she happens to hear this, uh, because you guys really were the dream team. I mean, we, you guys trained together for a very long time, even after the classes ended. You know, it, it brings a very random memory to my mind that I kind of want to share because I think it's really funny, which was we trained in the mornings. Yes. We trained in the mornings, 6 a.m., on Mondays, no less. <laughs> on Mondays. And it was one year, this might have been 2015, 2016, where my birthday happened to fall on a Sunday. I don't know if you remember the memory I'm about to share. And I was celebrating with some friends that night. And, uh, and I'll be completely honest, there was zero alcohol involved. Zero alcohol. But there were a <laughs> lot of donuts and a lot of ice cream cake. Just sugar. Involved in that <laughs> evening. And I woke up Monday morning, probably around 5 a.m., and I felt terrible. Like, I mean, nauseous, just like I felt 
miserable. And I remember texting you guys, telling you to cancel our session and tell you that I just, that there was no way I could make it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still to this day, I'm not convinced you and Heather didn't just assume I was hungover. <laughs> we would never assume that because we know you. <laughs> we know that either you overslept, like I'm going to call you out right now, like the turkey trot. I was just going to share that after you. <laughs> or you had a sugar hangover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so turkey trot. So to share that story. Oh, wow. So turkey trot was a 5K race on Thanksgiving morning. And we had signed up to do it as a group. It was me, you, Heather, Heather's husband, Matt. Amber was there. Mm-hmm. Your daughter, Jasmine, was going to join us. Mm-hmm. And I want to say there may have been one other person or maybe that was it. Matt, I think. Yes. Heather's husband. Mm-hmm. husband. Yep. And we were going to all run the turkey trot together, which started at 8 a.m. sharp Thanksgiving morning. And I remember waking up that morning (laughs) and it was one of those mornings where it was like a little too bright out. You know what I mean? Where like it for this time of year and the time I was supposed to be awake, it shouldn't have been that sunny. First clue. And I remember immediately like heart sank immediately. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And I look at my phone and it's 7.50 for this 8 a.m. race. (laughs) And as I open my phone, I see just a picture message of all of you guys in a group photo. The the (laughs) loser L on your forehead sending it to me because you guys had no idea where I was. (laughs) I forgot about that. I think I still have the photo somewhere. (laughs) Save somewhere. And... And I felt terrible. And I rushed there as quickly as I could. <laughs> and I didn't make it to run the race, but I did make it in time to take a photo of all of you guys finishing the race. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I totally overslept for that. <laughs> it happens. Not very often with you. It, it was, honestly, it was one of the biggest fears professionally was oversleeping through an appointment. So I would set multiple alarms. Like I never really slept well when I had to get up super early because there was that anxiety of like, am I going to sleep? Is it going to happen? <laughs> but, uh, but I had my moments. I certainly did. The turkey trot. Yeah. But no, you and Heather did phenomenal. And you developed, the reason I called you a legend at the beginning of this is you developed quite a reputation among AT members for how damn strong you became. <laughs> It was wild. <laughs> uh, a record setter at the at the old gym, if I remember correctly. For a little bit, yep. Obviously a testament to your work ethic and showing up and... Thank you. Thank you. And doing testament well. to testament you, to I think, you, and, I your think and your motivation and, and knowing your clients. And, and, and we tried to make sure to have a good time, right? For sure. Um, you, you know, you, you had kind of alluded to maybe the reason why you first came to the choose to lose class in the beginning. There might've been some health issues that were budding up and you wanted to get a grip on them before they got out of control. And so do you mind sharing a little bit about what inspired you to kind of get started with your own health and fitness journey and to kind of make it a part of your lifestyle the way that you did at the time? Well, I think a lot of factors, 
were in play. Um, my life was changing drastically. I was going through a divorce. Um, as I said, I was already working out, um, and enjoyed it. Um, but coming to choose to lose, I don't know. You have an ability to connect with your clients and see them. Um, I don't know, see how to motivate them. And I think just the connection itself for me made the difference and showed me a different, um, I don't know, I guess because you were able to help me get to new levels, it showed me a different part of working out that I really, really enjoyed. So had you had you done different exercise programs prior to Choose to Lose? Like more well, yes, I did strength programs and hit hit, you know, circuits and hit and all that kind of stuff, which I love. I still love today. But I never had the individualized kind of one on one training to take me to those higher levels. Yeah. And I think it too, it, it shifted a little bit for us because the other unique perspective is you've been a part of every program I've ever offered up to and including present day online coaching format, how it's <laughs> structured and how it's programmed. You've dabbled in all of it throughout the years. And so, and you may agree with me and I'm curious to hear your insight on this. One of the things I love about the online coaching is that format A allowed me to bother you every day. Um, yeah, which yeah. obviously is great for the accountability on your end. And the interesting thing, which I don't know if I've ever actually shared before, but for me, the thing I love about being able to communicate more frequently in that online format is I almost can view your, not to reduce it down, but I can view a client's life as almost like a wavelength. Yep. And I'm able to kind of, because I'm constantly in communication with them, I'm riding that wave with them. And as a coach, it allows me to anticipate what's further down the line to be able to see the, a better perspective of what's happened mm -hmm. instead of just snapshots. It's one of the reasons why stepping away from work for like time off is so difficult because even a little bit time away and I feel like I've been removed from the wavelength and then I'm jumping back in at a different spot <laughs> and I got to try to figure out what happened in that amount of time that where I was gone. But it allowed, I think us in our communications with the check-ins when we did the calls to talk about topics and dive a little bit deeper into certain things related to your nutrition and how you thought about it and your exercise and how you thought about it and how you dealt with stress and stuff like that in a way that I think is really atypical in a lot of like standard programs. Absolutely. And you, you have a unique ability to send those texts, you know, just as I'm looking at a donut or something, or <laughs> just as I'm going to turn the TV on and skip my workout. <laughs> I, I have had people accuse me of being psychic <laughs> or spying on them. I want, I'm working with one gentleman now. He always jokes whenever we talk that he's waiting for the day that he comes out of his office from work and he gets into his car to drive home. And I just sit up in the backseat behind him and I'm like, how did today go? <laughs> And 
So, but you know what? I will demystify it for everyone to hear now. I will say that the reason it seems like I'm psychic is because it's a pure numbers game. When I text you so frequently, it's bound to happen at a time where it happens to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in fact psychic. I guess that's true, but I don't know. Everyone I've talked to is like, how does he know? (laughs) I guess the real question is, why were there so many moments where I had to know when to text? (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, it it allowed us to dive into things a little bit, a little bit deeper that it was a little bit harder in especially like the class setting and stuff where, and I think it was the right trajectory for you. So in the beginning, it was obviously learning how to integrate a new nutrition and exercise approach, mm-hmm. right? And then when we when we moved away from the classes into the private coaching with Heather, it was more about taking you to that next level, mm-hmm. right? How do we see what your kind of your capabilities are and which you excelled in and setting all the PRs and the records and, and whatnot. And then as we got into the online coaching, I feel like it transitioned because you had a pretty good understanding of all of the stuff that you needed in terms of nutrition and exercise. Like you had a good grasp on that. And I feel like when we moved to the online coaching, the benefit became an exploration into all of the minutia in between, right? Mm-hmm. How does the role of stress affect how much of this we want to be doing or how do we tweak our approach to be a little less burdensome when the burden is greater elsewhere in our life. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was like a further mastery of the lifestyle aspects. Would you agree with that assessment? I would agree. And for me, the, the timing with COVID played a big part because I couldn't go to the gym anymore. And um, I think that's when I got into running which as I reflect and now we have recorded that you said you got into running and you yeah. it. <laughs> it's real, <laughs> but it's, it's so wonderful when I reflect on all the goals that I've achieved and the accomplishment accomplishments that I've done um, with my workouts And yeah, we talk about running, which I despised and would never consider doing. And then I ended up running seven miles. I know. (laughs) What a world we're living in, huh? (laughs) Um, You were vehemently against ever enjoying running for the longest time. I don't know what changed, but I enjoyed it. It did, which is fantastic. <laughs> and so, you know, as as the structure of what your program looked like and the goals that we were working towards shifted throughout the years, I have to imagine that the role that your fitness played in your life had also shifted over the course of those years. Is that true, would you say? Yes. So do you mind bringing us a little insight into how that role in its life, how the role of your fitness in your life shifted as time went on? 
When I first got into fitness, I think my life was a lot of chaos. And so fitness offered me that stability, um, that moment away from the chaos, um, that first step into self-care. Um, and so that like super appealed to me initially because, you know, chaos isn't really fun. <laughs> and then I started learning, gosh, I'm strong or I, I could set a goal to do this. And then I would achieve that goal. And it, and it was just phenomenal. Um, I don't know. I, I grew up a skinny kid, so I never thought that I was strong. Um, I wasn't really athletic, but I wasn't, I was out of shape, really. I was active. Um, so it was wonderful to see this different side of myself that, that I never knew. And, you know, when you bring up kind of at first fitness, the role of fitness was to bring order to the chaos, I think, mm -hmm. right? Which is such a, a powerful aspect of fitness and such a relatable aspect in so many ways. Because I, I share this with people that I still work with today. Naturally, most people's lives at some point or another become pretty chaotic for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And we talk about how in those moments, things can go one of two ways. Either the fitness, if someone's already involved in fitness, can completely slip away because it just becomes so overwhelming that it's another thing on the to-do list. Mm -hmm. Or it becomes something that we can lean into as being one of the few things amidst all that chaos that we can actually control. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people are seeking in that times of chaos, right? Which you might be able to agree with is some sense of, I'm in control of something. For sure. And it has ripple effects. Like, I don't know, somehow I'm a more calm person. I have more time, um, more direction in my life when I'm taking care of myself and um, putting my fitness and nutrition first. Absolutely. It does, it, has, it, it bleeds into every other area of your life. Yes, yes. When you feel good here, you start to perform better elsewhere, right? And it's especially cool to see the trajectory of seizing control in a world of chaos, having that sense of control, and then shifting to, now what am I capable of? Right. Right? What can, what, this is kind of fun. What can, what can I actually do? What can I try? An exploration of sorts. Yes. Right? And I think that's the key into how it bleeds into all of the other areas. We build ourselves up enough and we disprove a lot of the initial fears or thoughts we have about ourselves, right? In your case, you were a skinny kid growing up, you kind of told yourself you weren't strong or you couldn't be strong. We clearly disprove that. <laughs> and in so doing, then it becomes, well, what am I capable of? Not only how much further can I push my strength here in the gym, but also... What am I capable of at work? What am I capable of at home? Mm -hmm. Heck, maybe I can ride a motorcycle after all. <laughs> right? For sure. 
And I, that's definitely a, a story I've seen time and time again of it expanding into other areas of people's lives and they start exploring other things and doing other things. So that's really that's awesome. And so what would you say the role of it is now in your life, present day? I think present day, it's like a toolbox. You know, I think a lot of people can view fitness as a toolbox, as you said, where it at some point in your life, maybe you've achieved all of the fitness goals that you have for yourself. You've completed the runs, you've completed the PRs, you've done all the things, you've made all the transformations, it's improved all these other areas of your life. And this is something a lot of people struggle with is they get to that point and they think, what's, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. What is this? And then there's a pressure of having to find something else fitness related. Mm-hmm. And that was something that happened to me personally. So, you know, I was in a very similar boat. Obviously, I, I went through my big transformation, losing the 80 pounds when I was in high school. That led to then continue to try to build muscle and to get strong and to transform my body that way, which then led into me wanting to do the marathon in 2014, which then led, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do, which led into the first bodybuilding show I did in 2016, which then, okay, now I got to do better than that. So now I went back in 2018. And I remember it was when I was getting ready for that second show, spending hours and hours in the gym, uh, feeling like absolute dog shit because I was underfed and overworking and whatever. And I remember mm-hmm. in those hours I spent in the gym was usually the same time of day because I had to fit it in my schedule. And so I saw a lot of the similar faces and it was a lot of similar competitors getting ready for these shows. And I remember as vivid as ever, I was on the Stairmaster after a workout and I was looking around the gym. For some reason I had my music turned off. I think my headphones might've died. And I was just kind of eavesdropping and people watching all the people in the gym. And it dawned on me that for a lot of the people, other competitors, this was all that they had in their life. There's nothing wrong with that, right? If that's the Mm -hmm. thing you want to commit your life to, by all means, go for it. But that Mm -hmm. was not me. And I had a very vivid moment, awakening moment where I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) I don't want my entire life to be this. Yeah. And since then, obviously, I finished the show because I was already that far into it, but that was the point where I was like, okay, probably not doing any more of these. But really since then, I haven't had an express fitness goal. Mm-hmm. And I haven't felt the desire to. Because there's not really too much specifically that I want to accomplish. There, right? And so fitness mm-hmm. serves a different purpose now. It serves right, a purpose of right. groundedness. It serves a purpose of upkeep and maintenance, mm-hmm. both physically and health related. Right? It serves the purpose of identity. It's still a big part of who I am. <laughs> but I don't need a goal for it anymore. You know, And I think it's similar in your case where you've seemingly done most of the things or all of the things that you wanted to do that you originally set out for. And it seems now it's like a toolbox where it's there when you need to apply those principles that you've learned when you need a specific scenario. But it doesn't have to be as consuming of what you're doing. Right? Yes. My life's changed that I think I'm not, um, you know, leaning so much towards that for my stability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is in many ways even more awesome. Because I, and I think that's one of the challenges with the fitness industry as a whole right now, not to get too preachy, but 
I think a lot of fitness, co- especially newer fitness coaches, which I certainly fell into this boat probably when you and I first met. But not to get too preachy, in the fitness industry as a, as a whole, a lot of coaches fall into the trap, I think, of indoctrinating their clients into this world of the gym as all-encompassing. Like, this is where you need to be. This is where you need to live. If it's not the gym, it doesn't matter. Right? And part of that's because that's their life and their life, their profession is the gym. Their life is the gym. So, they just give that off to the people they work with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I think that's also part of the reason that people get bubbled in up to being like, well, if I'm not all into this, should I be doing it at all? Like, is this, should I? Hmm. Yeah. Know, kind of that yeah. all or nothing mentality. Yes. I was going to say, I, I still struggle with that a little bit. Like, I want to put a shirt on it. Like, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe I should just know where my toolbox is. And what's in it and be okay with that. And I love that you said that because this reminds me of an ongoing conversation that we had (laughs) between expectation and want. Yes. If you remember that week, weeks long conversation that we had. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) But I think it's really important, right? Uh, And if you remember, it was very similarly, you felt an expectation to be doing a certain amount of exercise when your lifestyle at the time didn't really call for it. And Mm -hmm. there was this dichotomy between the two. And we had talked about there's a difference between having the expectation that we should be doing something and wanting to do something. And also the flip side of that is rationalizing not doing something when we actually want to be doing something. Right? So the flip side, of course, is feeling an expectation to run every day when we don't actually want to be or it's not appropriate for our life. The flip side of that coin is rationalizing not doing any running at all, even though deep down we kind of want to. Right? And I think the overarching theme that connects those two is having a certain level of self-awareness and the ability to have those honest conversations with ourselves, the introspection, if you will, of what expectations am I drawn towards? What do I actually desire to do deep down, effort notwithstanding, and how do Mm -hmm. I reconcile the two of those? Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier said than done for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a tough conversation to have. Yeah. Because as we've talked about, we're all master rationalizers. (laughs) Right? So it's easy for us to convince whatever answer is easiest. Mm -hmm. Or whatever feels good at the moment. Yeah. Whatever feels good at the moment. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's a tough conversation is to be able to Mm -hmm. set that aside and really discern what should I be doing right now. Yes. I was just going to add, I think that's another one of your unique abilities is you have a way to draw (laughs) the truth out of people. And it's very helpful. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that after the fact. I'm sure it's a pain in the ass in the moment. (laughs) Well, it might feel like a pain in the ass, but... (laughs) It's appreciated. <laughs> it uh, it's another reason I love the format of the online is because it it allows us to explore these things where a traditional setting would be more difficult to do. Yes, right. 
it uh I always find it fascinating and I suppose I'll just share it. I don't know if I ever share with you one of the most powerful it really drives my psych background notwithstanding it drives my understanding when I'm working with people of their behavior and it's a lesson I learned from a book that I read early early on in my career and it was a book about how to catch serial killers. So, that's not to say the people I work with are serial killers or have the same tendencies. Just in case. But it was a powerful lesson that I was able to just translate into a different realm. And it was a quote. So, the, the book was written. It's called The Anatomy of Motive. I highly recommend reading it. It's also a very entertaining book for anyone who's into like crime dramas or crime in general. And it was okay. written by the guy, if you're familiar with the TV show Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm. So, Gideon, the character Gideon. The real-life person that his character was based off of was one of the people that started the kind of behavioral unit in the FBI. And that real-life guy is the guy who wrote this book. Okay. And it was a book about how they essentially catch serial killers by connecting the clues they find at the crime scenes, yada, 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 to create what is the motive of what they're trying to accomplish. And so one of the quotes, the lesson that I pulled from this book, not to be too long-winded, was... When you understand a person's reason for doing something, the behavior always makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that the behavior is justified because, again, this is the book about serial killers. So, I don't want people to think that I'm saying the serial killers, it makes sense, right? <laughs> there are some things you look at, it'll never make sense. But every t- the larger lesson is all of our behavior is driving us to accomplish something for ourselves. A feeling, a task, a goal, whatever it is. And so when we can understand in ourselves or in others what they're trying to get from the behavior that they're doing, suddenly the behavior that seems confusing for what the person actually wants to attain makes sense because we know what they're getting from it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, go ahead. It's a lot to get there. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It gets very murky and very complicated. And mm-hmm. very, um, so like somebody who's really adamant that they want to get healthier, they want to improve their eating, they're tired of feeling terrible every day, continues to eat the junk food, mm-hmm. right? And if we're able to, and a, a very common occurrence is they're doing it because it makes them feel good and it's a sense of pleasure and it's a coping mechanism for all the other stress that makes them feel terrible. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, they're driven to to cope with the stress in that way. And when we look at that and we understand that, it makes sense why they keep doing it. Right. Because the stress is far worse than having a tummy ache for a few hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? But in recognizing that within ourselves, puts us in the best position to actually change our behavior. Right. And you help keep people honest. Like you, I think for me, I can... I can get there. I can recognize that. And then tomorrow I'll conveniently forget it. But then, you know, you're there to remind me. (laughs) I am simply the voice on your shoulder. I'm not sure if it's the angel or the devil that remains (laughs) to be seen. But the voice, nevertheless, that just reminds you of... It's really interesting. You know, it's... When I work with people, most of the time... They have all the answers they need already. I just get them to say it out loud. And then I say it back to them. 
And I'm not telling them anything new. I don't know if it's that simple, simple, but okay. (laughs) I think you might be surprised. (laughs) I think you're just very good at what you do. do. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So it helps to be all up in your life because then I can see what those trends are. Right? Mm-hmm. And then we work on those trends. But ultimately, it's still all the all the credit goes into your court because you still are the one that's doing all the work. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a perfect segue to talk about your motorcycle riding. I'm curious what inspired you to get your motorcycle license. Well, when I was young, my cousins had dirt bikes and they lived on a farm and... I remember visiting and learning how to ride a dirt bike. I don't know. It was a 125 or something, a small bike. And then we jumped to adulthood and my brother and my son bought motorcycles one year. And my fiance and I decided, well, we want to ride too. So we went out and we took a motorcycle safety class and went and bought two used motorcycles. And and I love it. It's my most favorite thing. (laughs) The thing I love most about your journey into motorcycles, which I'm going to ask you more specifics in a moment, but the thing I love most is, and did you start riding while we were still training in person? I think you did. Yes. Yeah. Because I remember there was a period of time where almost every time I saw you for a couple of weeks, you came in and there was a new bumper bruise because you told me a story about how you had fallen <laughs> off of your motorcycle. Well, falling is part of learning, I say. <laughs> True. And so it's great that you had the perseverance to keep up with it. Yes. A little funny side story. So Jasmine just took a motorcycle safety class. And I think they have you on 250s in there. It's a small bike. It's light, so it's easy to learn. And since my first motorcycle, I've upgraded to a Harley Davidson. And Jasmine completed this class. And she said, hey, Mom, do you want me to come over and show you my riding skills? And I said, on my bike? <laughs> and she said, well, yeah. And I was like, no offense, Jazzy, but no. <laughs> because, like, I dropped my old bike a couple times. Um, and that was just, I mean, it's 700 pounds. Part of learning. <laughs> part of learning. You, because uh, I remember you, maybe this was the old bike you're talking about that you had relinquished to the practice bike because you knew it was just a junker that you were going to tip over constantly. Correct. <laughs> also, probably a good reason you had such a strong deadlift to be able to lift that bike back up. Absolutely. <laughs> Functional training at its finest. That's right. <laughs> That is a funny story, though. You're like, no, no. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> so I have to assume you've been making the most of the summer months and getting out and riding a lot. Well, since gas prices are so high, it's just been wonderful to ride my bike all the time and save on gas. And 
get to be able to enjoy writing. Yes, I've been writing a lot. I've always thought it took a certain person to want to ride a motorcycle. And now that you've done it, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. It's kind of, to me, like skydiving. There's a certain kind of person that's going to go skydiving. There are some people who are just not in the any stretch of the imagination will they ever attempt such a thing. Right. Do you think it's the same way with motorcycles? Or do you think that people could, if they dabble in it enough, might get over that and and fall in love with it? I agree that it takes a special person. I, um, I love that there aren't a whole lot of girl riders or there's girl riders, but not girl drivers. Um, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to learn. Um, we all know the roads are scary out there and it's even scarier on a bike, but, Oh, there's just, maybe it's like skydiving. I've never skydived, but there's just no feeling like it. Is it, is it true what they say about the sense of freedom that you get when you're riding a bike? A hundred percent. There's something different about it. It's not quite like being in a car on the open road. It's different. (laughs) Yeah. They call it wind therapy. I like it. (laughs) I like it. I will say, admittedly, growing up and when I was in college and parking downtown here in Ann Arbor and going to the structures, I was always jealous of the motorcycle riders who could just like pop their bike on the sidewalk and park it in a little corner of the parking lot. And I do it whenever I can. <laughs> like you can't stop and pay, but you could also just like drive it over the thing and get out whatever you want. I don't have bags on my bike. I guess that's my only wish because, you know, I can't, if I go to the grocery store, I have to really be creative or I have to drive a truck. (laughs) All right. Now I have to ask, what's the most creative you've had to get grocery shopping on your bike? Funny you ask, because I just went and I have this little tote that kind of has hard sides and a hard bottom. And I don't know. I bought a bouquet of flowers. Um, <laughs> I bought, I don't know, like $60 worth of groceries. And I had to like get it in there all Tetris and cover my flowers so they didn't get ruined. But I still had them up there. And then I just bungeed everything out of my back seat and I made it home fine. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. I'd be most concerned about the flowers catching wind and just... I was too. So, you know, they're wrapped in cellophane and then I just got another cellophane and covered it up. They were fine. Nice. When you're, I have to imagine, especially with a 700 pound bike, $60 of groceries probably isn't enough extra weight to like make it feel weird. Is that? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I've never rode anyone, so I don't know what that's like. I'm kind of, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, that seems like it would be enough to throw it off a bit. Someone? Like if someone's riding on the back with you? Oh, yeah. I think you would feel it for sure. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing. (laughs) So I'll share a funny story with you. It's not related to a motorcycle, but probably the closest experience I've had to it, which was a jet ski. This was maybe three years ago. It's my first time ever on the back of a jet ski. 
We were visiting some friends at their lake house. They had two jet skis. There were four of us. So I got on the back of his with him and the other two guys got on the back of another jet ski. And it was on a lake where it was pretty shallow for a pretty good distance. Okay. okay. Like maybe a good 50 yards or so. You had to go out. So I'm on the back of this jet ski and he knows it's my first time. So he's kind of making jokes. He's like, oh, I'm going to do all this crazy stuff. Mind you, while we're just gently coasting through the shallow water. I don't know if he did this on purpose or not, but it just so happened that as we're entering the deep water, he happens to turn his head to me and he tells me, by the way, this is a high performance jet ski that tops out at 60 miles an hour. Oh my God. And as the word hours slipped out of his lips, he cranks the throttle. And I tell you, we teleported to the other side of this lake. <laughs> Did you stay on? I have never hugged another grown man so tightly in my life, Lori. I immediately bear hugged and I'm holding on for dear life. And I did stay on. We fell off eventually later down the road, but not because of the speed. And it was, mind you, very exhilarating and not what I was prepared for. And I have to imagine, (laughs) obviously, it's very different on a jet ski than on a motorcycle. But that has to be even greater like that. Just the full experience of. It's fun. Yeah. But also imagine there's a certain identity around riding a bike, right? You kind of alluded to it. Like you're, you kind of enjoy that there's not too many girl riders out there and mm-hmm. you get to be the badass that revs your engine and rolls up to all the biking events. Jonas saw me the other day and uh, he said just that. I guess he had his girlfriend in the car and he's like, there goes my badass mom on the motorcycle. <laughs> and I love that. And it's, it's so awesome that, you know, cause that's, that's one of the important things too, is this kind of idea about identity. And I love that you were able to decide it was something you were interested in, explore it. And now it's become such a strong part of your identity. Mm-hmm. Who you are. I think that's really awesome. I don't think enough people allow themselves to explore those activities that they have interest in and. And that, and thus able to experience what it's like to adopt those identities. Thank you. Well, on motorcycles, was it as scary as you expected learning how to ride a motorcycle? Well, the first time I got on my bike, my first one, Al and my brother were home and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go around the block and see how I can do. Why on earth they thought I would be okay? Why I thought I would be okay? I have no idea. <laughs> we, <laughs> I went down the street and I was fine. And have you ever driven a manual car? Okay. So you know kind of the shifting. Well, you do that on a motorcycle. And I got around the corner but turning, I I had, was at a stop sign and had to like start and turn at the same time, which I had trouble with. And I dropped the bike and it landed on me and there was no one around to help me. <laughs> so I just laid in the street. 
Um, and eventually Alan Sean came and saved me. But all that to say, you know, that was one of two times that I dropped the bike. And truthfully, it probably took me two or three years to be really comfortable and confident. Um, it's a learning process. And it does make me think of, you know, when I think of my deadlift and the time put into that to reach my goal was a lot. And, and just like riding, it, it takes a lot of practice, but then you reach that goal. And now it's like, it's just like driving a car. That's awesome. Really comfortable. Really comfortable. I, I remember the story because this is one of the bruises that you came in with <laughs> was being trapped under that bike. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my poor legs. <laughs> but you made it all all right. And that's the important thing. And probably learned some important lessons in there too, in your biking journey. Yes. <laughs> I like it. You know, obviously we've talked a lot about your fitness journey, kind of from when we first started together to where you are now and kind of the role, how it shifted in your life, the role of fitness. But I am curious if you look back at just not even way back to a younger version of you, when you and I, if we think back to the point where you and I first reconnected, what advice or lessons would you share with yourself about everything that you've learned throughout the years? I would share, I don't know. I think of some of our sessions and where you would kind of poke at me because I would always say, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. And you would be like, Lori, you always say that. <laughs> and then you rock it out. So I would say, what is the little Winnie the Pooh saying where they, where it is? Um... <laughs> is it you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem and smarter than you think? Yes. Good old Winnie the Pooh. That's a good quote. I, yeah, I think that totally applies to me. And You would tell yourself that you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Thank you. And then younger you would be wondering why the hell you're quoting Winnie the Pooh to them. <laughs> but a valuable, valuable lesson nevertheless. I tell you what, this was a fantastic conversation. I think there's a lot of good lessons in there that people will be able to take away in their own fitness journey. I think it's very relatable and very inspiring. And before we end, though, I want to give you the opportunity, Lori, to ask me any question that you want. I'd like to know, could the old Alex envision or see today's Alex? That's a fantastic question. The short answer is absolutely not. I had no idea that, in fact, the, the, I can sum up the trajectory of most of my life as being having no idea what I was doing or how it was going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons that I am generally such a positive person every day and why I can wake up with such strong amount of gratitude because my life today is so wildly outside the realm of what I thought it was going to be 
in such a drastically better sense, unbelievable <laughs> sense, that it just blows my mind. And that's probably the reason why I'm so passionate about helping people master this part of their life, the fitness part and how they think about themselves and how they evaluate what they're doing, because I know how powerful it can shift the trajectory of somebody's life. Yes. Yes. As they're going. So absolutely not. I want to know what the, the, how the switch flipped. Like the initial switch, like early, early on. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I don't actually have a pinpointed answer. All I know is it's the amalgamation of a couple of different things. One is it was coming up on my senior year in high school. And it was the realization while all of my peers and friends were filling out college applications and figuring out their futures. Me, again, having no idea what I wanted to do. Not having the best grades. Not having a good enough kind of self-esteem or confidence to really believe that I was able to do any of that stuff realized if I didn't change something, that was going to be the rest of my life, that path that I was on. And and fortunately, because I started working so early, bagging groceries at what was then Hiller's and is now Kroger, I knew I certainly didn't want that the rest of my life. (laughs) So it was this weird connection of I certainly don't want that. And if I don't do anything now, that's going to be it. So I got to get it together. That's what so that was the first realization. The other one was I happened to get into a romantic relationship at the time. And there was a little bit of a, it was easy. And I think similarly, I have the conversation often about for a lot of people that I work with, it's easy for them to make the hard decisions and the big changes when other people are relying on them. Because we're master rationalizers for ourselves. But it's a little bit different when there's a third party staring us in the face and telling us, no, that's not actually right. Right. This is what you said you wanted. And so for me, getting involved in my first romantic relationship, it wasn't necessarily anything directly about it, but it was more of a sense of now I was doing it for somebody else. And so there was more of an obligation and a duty to actually do it when even when I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the second point of it. And then the third, which is kind of an overarching across the whole span of it, was I think I had just gotten to the point where I was mature enough to understand all of that. Because I had tried numerous times throughout my childhood, some of it my own volition, some of it doctor-led, some of it parent-led. Like there was mm-hmm. tons of accountability and motivation and, and people encouraging me to do encouragement to make those healthy changes. But I just don't think I was mature enough to, to grasp it out. grasp it and do something mm-hmm. about it and have to take the responsibility over it, right? So I think it was kind of a, and, and not to use the cliche, but a stars aligning moment for me where all the pieces kind of came together at uh, the same time and that catapulted me forward. Right. I love it. But had no idea what was going to come of it. <laughs> But each step, just like you said, fitness extends to other areas. So as I begin to see my success in fitness, I begin to feel more confident doing other things. And that allowed me to take more risk with my schooling, which then opened up more opportunities to, for, for, you know, for me to transfer from community college to Michigan and then take even more risk to get into the research lab in the psych department and have that experience and then take even more risk to do the honors program and, and do all of that and then take more risk of trying my hand at being a fitness coach and doing something that was 
as an introvert, as being really shy, which I very much still was at the time, having to command a room of people was terrifying. But having to master that and then, you know, it just snowballs. Here we are. It seems so natural. What? It's putting in the reps, right? Just like you said, you when you first deadlift, then it's a lot of work. But when you do it enough, <laughs> it's second thought. Riding a bike's a lot of work. You're doing enough. Second thought. Mm-hmm. Being wild and crazy in a room full of people is a lot of work. And then it becomes second. Right, right. Second thought. You know? So, in a nutshell. Yeah. That was a fantastic question. I really appreciated that question. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate you so much joining me to be interviewed on the podcast. I appreciate you always. Thanks for tuning in. If you feel inspired by this story, please share it with a friend. If you'd like to book a free discovery call to talk with an A-Team coach, head to the episode description or visit us at ateamfit.com. That's A-T-E-A-M-F-I-T.com. We'll see you again soon.